checking file sheet uh, can look intimidating. It's a separate file when you're, you're trying to figure out how it's going to work and stuff like that. But I'm hoping that today I can sort of demystify it a little bit for you, try and help you understand where it comes from, why we like it, why it's powerful, and how you can use it to uh, uh, change the way uh, your pages look, but also why it's important to do it that way. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit, just a very little bit of accessibility and stuff like that. But, um, uh, the first thing I need to warn you is that we're going to talk about code, <laughs> and that, that blows. Uh, so I say yawn. Uh, but it, the code is about making things pretty. You like pretty things, so deal with it. Right? Uh, the first thing I want to do is talk a little bit, and I went a little bit nuts putting these stupid transitions in here, but, you know. It's fun. Yeah, and I'm a web guy, and, and, you know, I don't get to play with this sort of keynote stuff all the time. It's like, well, I can do this. At least I did the same transition every time, so you don't have to get used to new things each time. But John, do we have to take notes, or we're going to be able to access this? I'll make sure you can access it. Okay. Don't worry about that. And really, there's nothing all that deep. Um, but what I want to start off with is just talking a little bit about HTML, which is the basic bones of uh, a website. Um, and if you've ever, like, done view source on a page, you've seen a bunch of stuff, you see a lot of angle brackets, the least that you need to know uh, is that we talk about tags. Tags wrap around elements. An element is a chunk of something on the site, and it can be all kinds of different things. Uh, that element starts with a tag and ends with a tag. So if I'm talking about a paragraph, it's a P tag, and it ends with a slash P tag. So that slash means it ends. So now when you see those guys with the T-shirts that you know have like a slash sobriety or something like that, that's the end of sobriety they're going out to drink. So, or, or whatever variation that you're going to see on that. Uh, that's what, what, what the joke is there. So now you, you're in on the, the coder jokes, and, you know, now you know what they're talking about. Um, there, there are a bunch of other tags that we use, obviously, and I just wanted to throw up some obvious ones. I'm going to talk about tables. Um, so tables are built with the, the table tag, obviously, which wraps the whole table. And then within that, you have the TR tag, which wrap a row, so what goes across. The TD is then a cell within that row. And then the TH is a special uh, version of the TD tag, which is the header for a particular row. Um, so that's how that stuff works. Most of these, and in a lot of cases, you'll, the tags get more complicated. And when we actually start looking at code, I'll show you why. But you'll very rarely see, if you stand on the foot of the screen, it tips towards you. Uh, when, when you'll see a table tag, you'll see the table, and then it has a bunch of attributes within the tag. So there will be a height attribute, and that tells the table how high the table is. There will be a width and how wide that table is. So, but still, that table tag is just everything between the angle brackets. So when you're looking at that, that's what you're seeing. Um, and then there are headers, and uh, let me go back. The, the thing to keep in mind with all of this stuff, this, the, the standards for HTML, these basic things were designed to mark up research papers and basic text documents on the web before anybody thought about trying to do pretty graphical presentation on the web. It was all just about, I need to have headers in different categories. I may need to display data in a table, so I need tables. I'm going to need to have paragraphs. And that's, it was just designed with that sort of basic stuff in mind. Then, as with all things, designers got a hold of it, and they started trying to use that markup to create pretty designs. And 
there are some HTML styles that crept in, like tags that, that describe a font and say, okay, this passage is going to be a, uh, uh, it's going to have this particular colored font, it's going to use Times New Roman, it's going to be this size. Um, I say those are kludges because that gets away from the real markup, the real purpose of that markup, which is to identify what it is that you're looking at. So is this a table cell? Is it a paragraph? Is it a header of a section? And the H tags come with, uh, there's six levels of H tags. So you can have H1 would be the top of the document, all the way down to H6, which would be something very, very small, a, a very small sub, 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 sub section. How that works. Um, so there are file clusters that we worry about. The big thing, and this is where we get into some real things when we talk about accessibility, is using tables for layout. But as soon as the graphic designers got a hold of HTML and trying to figure out how to lay stuff out on a page, they get immediately frustrated because they can't put graphics on a page where they want them to. So they turn the entire page into a table. They lock the cells into specific widths and heights. So they basically have a checkerboard for the site. And then they can start saying, okay, well, this box up here is going to be the first half of that graphic. And then this box over here is going to have the other half of that graphic. And then this one down here is going to have the buttons. And they can get that three-dimensional layout that they want at the price of abusing the table tag. And so for years and years and years, right up until, God willing, 10 years from now, designers are using tables to lay out pages. Um, it's still a way that gives, until they really master cascading style sheets, it still gives them the most control over layout. It gives them the most, uh, uh, and for a lot of them, it's the easiest to understand way to lay things out. Um, John, is yeah. that font on there too? So font is a legacy. It's deprecated. You should probably be using CSS to designate a font rather than uh, using a font tag. Okay. Um, but uh, I mean, it still works. But the problem with that is, is it's it's a little less elegant. Um, and the, but the when we start when we well yeah as soon as I start getting off the script I'm sorry. Yes. Don't <laughs> uh, back up. Uh, so the, the problem is that with all of this HTML, the content becomes very, very cluttered and hard to read. And obviously, we don't care whether it's hard to read because the pretty presentation makes it easier to read. But we're not the only ones needing to read these pages. Um, and ultimately, the, the biggest downfall is when we start trying to make pages that are also going to be accessible to handicapped people. So, uh, you know, especially if you're trying to build a layout of tables and you want to have uh, a layout that fits, everything fits in a very specific way, what you'll find is people want to specify the exact pixel height of each character. So I'm going to only have the, the you know, rather than using something more flexible like an EM width or something like that, they're going to use a 10-point font or a 12-point font or an 8-point font. And once they do that, they lock that down and then, uh, somebody who comes to the website with a browser that's designed to try and make it, or most browsers will let you make the text bigger, that won't always work. Depending upon the browser, depending upon the way it's coded, you won't always be able to expand the size of the text, and then that person can't get the large print version of the site. And the large print version breaks all the design elements and stuff like that anyway. It's also really cluttered for uh, 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 somebody who's using a, a text reader to read a page, somebody who's blind who can't see the page at all, they don't care about all those tables. This was really, really eye-opening. When I first started working on websites at WSU, um, all my background was creative writing, so obviously I ended up in web work. Um, but 
we had, there was this mandate that came down from the state that all web pages needed to be uh, ADA compliant, needed to meet these certain standards. And we went to seminars and we talked about it and they said, you should use cascading style sheets. And we said, what the heck is cascading style sheets and all that sort of thing. Um, but they took a reader. And the, the trick with a, a table tag is, especially when you're using it for layout, you've got the table. And then you're going to have your table row, and then your table cells. Okay, and remember that this table row is the first row, and it's going to go across the top. And then I'm going to close that row off, and I'm going to have another one here. Now, what happens is, and I'm not closing these, I'm not going to worry about that, since this is just really quick and dirty. Almost always, because of the way we understand information and the way it's presented to us, the information that's unique about that page and the person really came to that page for, you've got a header across the top, you've got navigation down here, down the left side. So that information that they really want is in the bottom right corner. So in the table, that's going to be in the very last cell of the very last row. Now what the readers do, and there may be smarter readers now, but when I was back at WSU and we listened to this, the, table, the reader goes through and reads all the tags. So it says table, table row, table cell. And if there's just an image in that cell and it doesn't have an alt tag to tell them what it is, it just says image, file name, so-and-so. And they just rattle through this. And they have to wait for ages until they get to that last cell in the last row to get that piece of information. It's brutal. If you're lucky, somebody labels cells and you can skip through them without having to listen to it to see what's in there. If you're really lucky, somebody figured at least this much out and moved the navigation side to the other side, but that's still going to only save you a few step, uh, table cells to step through. So uh, if you're a, a, an ADA wonk, if you really care about being accessible for people, um, using readers and stuff like that, table design is brutal, it's, it's wrong, and we just shouldn't do it. So that's a big part of the reason why we love CSS. Uh, and that's actually the second one on this slide, so I'm just going to click through these. Never, never, never let. And now it runs through. So, but the other thing that I want to talk about is the way, by defining a style sheet that, that's accessible and used by every page on your site, you're able to define the behaviors of things like text and stuff like that site-wide with one particular change. So if you want to change, you've got a wild hair, you've decided all of your text needs to be purple. You can go in and specify that all your text will be purple in this one style sheet, and that goes site-wide. Or change your copyright at the bottom. Yes, and your copyright is purple. So that's, that's why this stuff is important. Um, and, I mean, designers have been using that sort of idea for websites for a long time. They would create a template file that's called once, and then you have just the individual content thing, or you have a database-driven site. So the database has, has a template, and then it shoots in the content from the database. But the style sheets are an extension of that. But the key is the idea that we're going to separate the content from the design so that the content of the web page is expressed in a page that has the bare minimum of markup around it and just enough markup to identify what that particular piece of content is and no more. Um, so. And by accessibility there, you actually mean reuse also, right? Uh, so that it's reusable. Yes. So, the things you're going to need to start mucking around with this stuff is, first of all, you need Firefox. There's really no substitute. 
And it's not just because Firefox is a very good browser, but because Firebug works in it. And Firebug is the thing that changed my life. I mean, yeah, getting married is cool. Firebug <laughs> quite possibly almost as good. My wife will probably never hear this, so it's okay for me to say Firebug is almost as good. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, so, I, I was at a, a, a training seminar for a, a, an open source content package uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And they put up Firebug at somebody else's tool. They just used it. They started playing with it, and all of a sudden, everybody in the room is going, wait, 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 how are you doing that? Because the challenge with CSS has always been that there was a certain amount of arcana involved. If you're looking at something on the page, it's purple text. How the heck did they make that text purple? And you would have to go and start scanning through the style sheets to try and find the one that said purple and see if that was the one you were looking for. Or try, I mean, and, you know, people try and organize their style sheets better and make that stuff easy to do, but we live in a Gmail age. None of us put our mail in folders. We just search when we got to find something. So our human-written testing style sheet documents are not going to be perfectly organized. You're not going to find that stuff. Firebug, I'll show you in a couple of minutes. It's a revolution. Basically, what we'll do is we'll be able to open up this little window on the bottom of any web page, ours or somebody else's. You click on a, a little button that says inspect, and then you click on the thing on the website that you want to look at, and it will show you on one pane the HTML that's producing that, and in the other the CSS that's affecting it. It draws lines through the CSS that's uh, been overwritten, which I'll talk about the, the cascading part of cascading style sheets. Uh, but basically, it'll tell you what style sheet that's coming from, which line it is. Rather than spending hours looking for purple, we now can do it in a few seconds and then go get a beer, which <laughs> developers like. So, uh, the other thing you're going to need, really, oh yeah, if I point at that, then this. Uh, there are a couple of, there are actually a, a whole star system full of, of CSS editors. Um, I'm on a Mac. I use a CSS Edit. It's not free, but it's relatively cheap. But there is a demo version of it. Top Style Lite is a free version of Top Style that you can get for the PC if that's what you're using. Um, I guarantee if you do any more than a little bit of mucking around with CSS, you're going to want to go to uh, the full Top Style just because it's going to help you with the more complicated tags. But if you're just getting your feet wet, Top Style Lite is good enough. It's going to help you figure out the syntax. Um, you can, uh, the, 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 with all these editors and stuff like that, with all these sorts of code, there's always a syntax that you need to follow. In the case of uh, cascading style sheets, there's uh, the, the curly brackets that you put around the code, and then there's the identifier and the colon and thing. But these things handle for you, so we don't have to worry about that. So the concepts you need to know. So the first thing we need to talk about is that there are going to be selectors. So a selector can be an element. So we can be talking about paragraphs. We can be talking about all H1 tags on the page. We can be talking about divs. Divs are basically just a box of something, some sort of content. So, but those are all just the HTML elements on the page. So we can make rules that apply to all of those. But what's going to happen is if I say, okay, I'm going to make every, all the text in P purple, that means all the text on the page becomes purple. So in the example, the beer picture example, I would say, oh, beer, beer becomes purple. Okay. But then we can create classes and IDs. And these become an attribute of the tag. So there would be P, 
And then an attribute there would be class equals model, class equals tan, class equals k, that sort of thing. And then there'd be an ID. And the ID might be more specific. But the difference between classes and IDs, they're both specified the same way. One will say class, the other's ID, and then it's an equal sign and then quotation marks and then the name of it. A class is something that gets reused. So if I'm creating a style for, we'll say, paragraphs, and I want to say all of my regular content paragraphs are going to be purple. So we'll just say P, and we'll create this class called content. We can make it up with anything we want. We just name it what we feel like naming it, or in some cases we'll identify what's already on the page. We'll say, okay, P, content, and then make that purple. And then any paragraphs that are not identified as content will not be purple. Only the paragraphs that have been identified as content will be purple. Uh, then the ID would be a very a single specific field. So if you've got a paragraph that's going to be the intro, for the page, and you want that to be treated differently than any other paragraph on the page, then you would say, okay, intro becomes uh, puce, because it's another P column. So, is that clear enough? It, it will, uh, I've got this set up so that I won't rattle through a bunch of stuff, and once I start actually showing you some code, it'll, it'll become a little bit more clear. Uh, but this, again, is just to try and describe that sort of stuff. So these are the, the basic uh, HTML selectors that you'll have in there. So there's paragraphs, there's headings. Uh, and A is a link. It stands for anchor um, because that's what meant link to the guys who made this stuff up. Uh, and then IMG is an image tag. Again, div and uh, UL is unordered list. If you want to have a list with numbers rather than both points, it would be OL. So there's a lot of different stuff. The HTML stuff isn't all that complicated. And then we're going to put uh, some of the style stuff on it. So we can control color. We can control the font. We can control the position on the page. We can control all kinds of stuff with it. Then the, the cascading part of cascading style sheets is where things get interesting and start to be complicated without something like Firebug. Um, we have this idea that style will cascade down from broader elements to more specific elements. So if I, there's that body tag that just says everything on this page is the body. I can put styles on that body that say, okay, all the text on this page is going to be purple and it's going to have a 12 point font. Or it's going to have a, a small, we'll, we'll try and use small, extra small, the, the flexible definitions of font rather than point font, but uh, whatever we're going to say there. Um, then I can specify paragraphs and make paragraphs different. So that all the text that isn't in paragraphs would still have that purple and 12 point that we defined for the body, and only the paragraphs would have that new thing. So. There, there's a, a style we can put on a paragraph that says indent. So we want to have paragraphs indent rather than using the web standard of the space between paragraphs, um, which we would have to take out. Uh, we can indent those paragraphs by putting that style on the paragraph, and it would still have all of the styles that were defined by body that haven't been overwritten by the more specific stuff. So uh, it's possible to set importance for a... Uh, uh, <laughs> Wes, you look really cute, confused. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm
I was, okay. I was wondering, do you do any coding with, the, with Dreamweaver or another tool, or are you... I, I primarily that? don't. Um, and then you're just previewing, it's kind of like the... Yeah, the yeah, yeah, I, I just... I use, on this, on, on my Mac, I just I use a, a, a something called TextMate. Um, there's a lot of different text editors. All you really want, but I'm, I'm a show-me-the-code coder. Right, right. Um, but what I like is having ones that will use color coding to show me what different things are and stuff like that. So that's what I'll be showing you here in a minute. Um, but when you set up the CSS, then is that where the inheritance expresses importance is part of yeah, the yeah, code? Yeah. But there, there are other things that that can take precedence. You can have a multiple style sheets applied to the same page, and then the order in which they get called sets the precedence. So if you call one style sheet, this is my site, full site style sheet. So we've got SDAC. SDAC has a, a default style sheet. And then for the PodStock site, I'm going to set up a second style sheet that has just the PodStock specific styles. So and then you don't have to go to the trouble of defining everything. You've already got a base. Right. It's just the special things that right. I'm right. Just the stuff I need to overwrite to make this stuff happen. What and then the there, it is possible. Sorry? Or the ability to overwrite. Right. Yeah, right, too. Right, right. And then it is possible, though, to mark a particular style as important that will keep it being, from being overwritten unless there's another important thing. It, it, you almost never use it very often, but every once in a while somebody gets snooty and decides something's important. So this is another diagram to try and explain the cascading thing. Uh, you've got stuff that we've defined for the body. All of that will pass down to the div within the body. That stuff will pass down to the H2 within the body and the paragraph within the body and the length within the paragraph within the div within the body and the image within the paragraph within, which is actually maybe that image is within the length because it's a clickable link or a clickable picture within the paragraph, within the div, within the body. Can you explain why div links or divs are used? Divs, uh, there's actually two very closely related things, divs and spans. And we use them to create the same sorts of fields that we did for bodies, or, or for, sorry, for tables. So for a table, we wanted to have, let's say, a thing over there, a box there, and this was going to be our banner ad area we wanted to have down that side of the page. In tables, I would have to create these rows. So I can have a row there and a row there, and then this would be one cell at the end of that row, and this would be another cell at the end of that row. With divs, because I can give them absolute positioning and say, you know what, this thing is going to appear in you know this part of the page or this part of the page, I just create that box and shoot it over there. So I don't have to have any of that other intervening stuff. So, and we'll be demonstrating that. But the, the it's to really draw the boxes on the page. Right, that's right. It draws yeah. the boxes. Divs and spans draw the draw the, the boxes. There's very little practical difference between divs and spans, except for a little bit of default behavior. Um, divs are what we use more often, but a span doesn't. Uh, if a span, a span is being used within the flow of content, it doesn't uh, break the flow of content when it ends and, and start something new. So you can have a span within a paragraph. So if you wanted to say this particular sentence is very important, so I want to mark it with in a special way. Um, maybe make the text bigger, make it purple, whatever we're going to do. You can do that with a span. If you did it with a div, it would break the paragraph up. So that's the only primary difference. But those are behaviors that we can change with the styles. I think we mostly use divs most of the time because we do want it to break that way, and it's three characters instead of four to type. We're lazy. 
So what can uh, CSS do? This is a, a site that was created by this guy. This is the book that just came out. Dave Shea, um, the designer and developer. He created this site as a showcase for uh, cascading style sheets. And what this site is, is, yeah, that's great. Um, you can go to it at cssdengarden.com. Uh, he's basically taking a block, a, a page of standardized HTML. It describes what the project is within this. And then he applies his style sheet to it. And then he invited other people to use the same HTML and just to define a style sheet for it. And then he's showcased them. So this is a set of ones we can click to, other designs on the page here. And there's archives. There's actually uh, maybe a couple hundred designs there now. Because I was afraid that the internet might be slow today, I took pictures. So this is another one of those designs. Keep in mind, every one of these is using the exact same HTML, the exact same content. All of the differences that we're seeing here are done strictly with cascading style sheets and then the images that those file sheets call up. So that flower is obviously an image. That's not just something that we can do by saying make it blue. Uh, but it's an image that's being called by the style sheet. It's not part of the core content. Um, and again, we go back to the accessibility stuff. Uh, you know, I, I hope that when you put an image into a page, when you uh, inject it into a page with an image tag, you should have an alt tag for that image. You should be defining what that is for somebody who can't see that image. Maybe they're on dial-up, maybe they're on, on a reader or something like that. There should be a text alternative to the picture. Um, but that becomes really, really inane when we're talking about design elements that are really just fluff for the person who's actually viewing the page. That flower, if we just had to go buy that flower on the page with a reader and, you know, here's the reader read to us, pretty flower, pretty flower, you know, right half pretty flower, left half pretty flower, whatever that design element is, that becomes tedious and dumb. Uh, so, again, by removing the style and the design from the actual important content of the page, that stuff becomes something that nobody has to deal with. Uh, so, again, this is another one. Uh, if you were to scroll down the page, you see it's all the same content. There are links to some of the other designs and stuff like that. Relabeled them current hits by replacing the title for that area with the graphic. Um, but it's the exact same stuff. Here's a basketball one. So, again, all of these bits are done with the exact same code. And vision of the body switchers. Ah, so, Finally, we reach the point at which I sit down and start playing. Um, first, let me show you not my iTunes. So this is the basic HTML of the page that we're working with. And I'm using his stuff. And so we're just going to start playing around with the style sheet. So the title is CSS and Garden, the beauty of CSS design, etc. Now, what you can barely see, because I've got Firebug set up, there's a little bug right here that I can click to turn it on. So I go, and I turn Firebug on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put my computer to sleep with my remote. Yay! Hello. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. Well, while I try and wake this up, um, there are a couple of concepts in uh, there it is. All right. What's the website, the URL there? Uh, oh, it's locally on my computer. Oh. I'm doing this. I, I got a web server local place that I can work on on my computer locally, so I don't have to worry about being out on the web. You can find all this information uh, on that CSS Garden website. I just didn't want to have to trust going to it and wait for pages to load. So they gave us, this is the, the style sheet for his particular Uh, this is the style sheet for that CSS garden site, the very first one, the sort of Japanese-looking one. Um, so we've got, uh, this is just a, the basic HTML for the, the HTML tag itself, which wraps the whole page. Then there's the body, and you set the fonts, Georgia, 75%, that sort of thing. Um, if I go to... This is the HTML for the page, which the only change I'm going to make here is changing uh, the CSS that gets called in this particular place. So right now I've just got pointing at start, which is a blank style sheet. If I go to the sample one, and we go back to the site, we'll get the same look and feel the point of having it on my server is that we don't have to wait for the page to load. What have I done? What have I done? All right. Uh, what I've done in this particular style sheet, while I think mean things towards my browser for a minute. Uh, is I've just cleaned out all of the styles so we can start playing with things. Um, but I do want to show you how well, I talked a bit about IDs and classes. Designers a lot of extra stuff to work with. 
for instance, uh, if I go back to the uh, source and we go down to the very bottom, he's got, and they're all lined up next to each other here, but there's div ID extra div 1 with a span, empty span within it and a div here. Um, and this it's a totally empty div with a totally empty span within it. And he just gave that to the designers so that they needed a couple of extra hooks to define background graphics and stuff like that. So with that span, I can do an inline style on top of the ID? Yes. Okay. That's so, what they're probably there for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, what, what we're talking about there, or at least what I think you're talking about, is you can define uh, within the CSS, you can say, I want this particular style to operate on all spans within the div ID extra div 1. So I just I, I, so that means I don't have to have a special ID on the span. It would be just all spans within extra div one. So it wouldn't affect this span or the others over here. Just that one. Does that make sense? So uh, that in, in this case that doesn't look particularly useful. But when you're trying to create say a menu area of the page and you want to say this style is going to apply to every, and you're going to use a, uh, like a bulleted list for your menu, but you're actually going to take out the bullets and turn those bulleted lists into button areas that people can click on. Um, you want to be able to apply those styles to all those list items. You just don't want to have to type in all of those IDs or all those classes for all those buttons. So you create the, the div or the, the uh, wrapper for that list that says this is the menu list. And then every list item within that menu list gets that style, but no other list items on the page would, unless those were also within a menu block. So, if I can make my browser behave a little better. You need to turn on your web sharing or something like that? Is that how it's running? No. It's just, so this is that design. I, I didn't download any of the background graphics, so they're not there, but you can see that the basic layout of the text and stuff is there. But let me go back to the uh, actual page, and I'm going to change this to my start style. So when I go back to the browser again, we've gone back to the basics. So in this HTML, we've got uh, some all these text areas. Uh, we've got benefits, we've got requirements. Let's say, for example, we want to take this requirements area and move it out of the flow and off to the side. So we'll go into our style sheet. And well, first I need to actually look at the, the code on the page. And I'll use Firebug for this one. This is the beauty that is Firebug. So we've got that requirements area. I can click inspect and click on requirements. And I mouse over until I've done that box area. And so it's showing me here that that is div ID requirements. There's also benefits, participation, exploration, all that stuff above those. Right now there's no style operating on those because I'm using a totally blank style sheet. But I can go find requirements in my blank style sheet and we'll put some style on it. So this is and again, just for the sake of demonstration, I'm using this particular style sheet that uh, has nothing in it. But I've got all the 
indicators and stuff, all the selectors on it. So I just need to find requirements. Oh, let's do something more dramatic first. Uh, we've got the body. So I'm in the, the body selector. Um, what would we like to do? Let's make all of the text garish and red. So I actually select a font. And this is made much easier by the presence of the, the tool for this. I don't actually have to write the code for it. Um, and again, this CSS I could paste into something like Flirt or Twitter to modify those sorts of things. Usually they'll give you the, the defaults and you can just paste those into a program like this and then make your changes and paste them back in. Save a version where it's not hosed. Um, I mean, the, the great thing about those things is you can always reset. So it's a great way to experiment. I'll actually show you the other thing that is to love about Firebug. Um, let's just say, uh, right now I don't have any style on this stuff, but I want to try and put a style on the body. So I can go up and select the body element here. It's giving me the, the blank brackets there. I can actually write some code into there. Now I actually have to write it myself, but I think without anything there, it's going to give me this. So I'll show you that in a second. Let's put something on the body. I've just put a color in. We'll save that. Go back and look at garish red text. Here. 
that I want to do and say, you know, oh, wow, oh, that was it. You just click there to turn it off. You didn't have to delete it. No, you just turn it off. You can turn it back on again. Oh, wow. So it's, it's a great way to learn about the styles that people, other people are using cool. and say, how did they get that over there on the right hand? Yeah. How do they get that to float where they're having it flow? How are you going to get that color to work? Just open this up on anybody's site and start turning their stuff off. It's, you know, you're like the kid in the elevator. Uh, just turn it back on. But and it can be great when you're looking at your own site trying to figure out what you were thinking last week or two hours ago when you made this change, uh, why you did it that way. It's a great way to kind of see what's going to happen. So that part is huge. But how do I get the code out? Uh, and you can copy it and then paste it into your uh, other program if you want. Um, in most cases, I just use it as a play pen, and then I'll go in and make the changes in CSS Edit or if, one of the other if programs. I'm doing this live on a site? Well, this change is just in what they call the DOM. It's just in my instance of the browser window right then. So it's not being changed on their site. Right. But if I'm doing it live, but I'm really doing it on my download, Okay. Like you, how do I get all? How do I steal their whole site? Oh, how do you steal it all? How do I steal their whole CSS after I've made the change? Well, the easiest thing to do. You model can say. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. How do I model? It's an homage. <laughs> <laughs> how do I model? Uh, if you click on the style sheet, uh, the the link to describe the style sheet, it'll give you the whole style sheet here, and then you can describe the whole thing. Um, hmm. Because the browser is loading both, and then it's just showing you right, both. Right, right, right. Because when you change. normally go to view source, it's showing you content, not right. CSS. Right. Which you can delete from you, so you can see it there. Yeah, you right. can, I mean, we could just go in the browser window to that file sheet and look it up and just see the file sheet that yeah. way. Um, but this way, it's just a click. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, nobody, I mean, we've been stealing each other's codes since, I mean, there was only one web page ever written from scratch, and it was the first one. And since then, everybody's stolen. I'm not going to type HTML, HTML, blah, blah, blah. It's just, uh, we've all just healed from each other. Um, all right. I'm actually going to jump ahead Betty Crocker style um, to a, another style sheet. And let me show you that style sheet before we apply it. Um,
piece is in the flow of the page. So if you want something like a header on a table to stay there, no matter where they scroll down to, you can make that fixed and it'll stay right there. Um, it's a little bit disorienting when you see it happen, but um, so I've given this a background color. Uh, it's got a width of 200 pixels, so it's going to be uh, about a quarter of a 800 by 600 page wide. Um, padding gives it a little bit of space between itself and the, the border of its own area. The other option is margin, which is space outside of its own boundaries. Um, I'm hiding any overflow, so if it gets too big for its space, it just disappears. Um, all this stuff is options, and in most of these programs, these areas will help you fill in those code values. You don't have to know that stuff. I mean, I have a stack of books. I spend very little time looking at them, but uh, you can usually find what you want to experiment with here. Um, I'm positioning it 400 pixels uh, on the right and 10 pixels from the top. And it's got a color. This would be the text color. There's background color and color. Color is the foreground color or the text color and that sort of thing. So let me make sure I've told it to use this style sheet. I haven't. And since my computer seems to be sympathizing with the network, we'll see if it reloads quickly. Ah. How do you choose between your text edit and your CSS edit view? One better than the other, sure. Text edit I just use for uh, HTML for the programming code. CSS is specific to the actual CSS style sheets. So I, I only use it for that. Text edit uh, has uh, code, uh, color coding packages that work for PHP and HTML and any of that other stuff. Frankly, I use it to write almost any text these days. Um, now that I've got that color scheme set to black and white, it just, I don't know, feels retro. <laughs> uh, so... Here's that benefits area that I created. You'll see how that one is actually within the flow of the document still. Its position was relative. These two had absolute positioning, so I pulled them out and just stuck them on the side of the page. And if I need to prove to show you, again, I can just go inspect some of these elements and show you that stuff. Um, the other thing I've got here, so I put these graphics behind these links just check one particularly at the bottom. I'll show you this particular technique. Uh, this is called a sprite. Uh, and let me jump back to the keynote because I had a version of that graphic to show you there. Uh, the positioning stuff, I just talked about that. There's also a value in there called Z-index. And that's actually how you can start looking at pages and the elements on the pages in a sort of three-dimensional way. Like in Photoshop, you can move stuff back and forth from the top to the bottom of the pile. Layers. Yeah, it's layers. So you can give it a Z-index of plus one or anything higher than that. And any, the higher the index is, the closer it will be to the very top. Zero is default. If you give something a, a negative Z index, it will appear under. If it has to compete for space in, in the actual viewable space, it will go under anything rather than above it. Um, but sprites. Uh, this is a, a standard, fairly standard sprite graphic, and it's the one we're using there. Um, in the old days with uh, table layouts and stuff like that, 
we would uh, create mouse-overs, roll-overs, where you would have one graphic that would appear, and if they would mouse over it, it would, the page would load a new graphic and display that graphic instead. What they're doing these days is the sprite graphics that is just one graphic to load. They tend to be very, very simple graphics, and, and especially like this, it's really just a span of colors. It's very little uh, actual memory. But then when you mouse over it, it changes the position that is viewable in the graphic rather than uh, having to reload a new graphic. So it improves performance a lot on the page because it's not reloading a new image when you mouse over it. It's just sliding this image. So right now, if this was a menu link, I would have you know, John's house here, and all you would see is the top bar. It reorders loaded images. So there's no... It, it doesn't reorder it. It moves it. It's going to change. And as I'm showing you the code here... It's like a map and a picture, right? You're actually moving the picture behind the map. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the, the background position, I would say minus 42 pixels, and it would shift that up so that the bottom would show. And if I go back to the page, if I mouse over, it's just showing it's very specifically that width, but when I mouse over it, the color changed enough. To, it looks like it's just shading when I mouse over it, but what it's really doing is shifting the image from the top one, which was lighter, to one of the lower ones that was darker. So that's what the Z index is using then? No, no, because it's a single graphic. It's just changing position on that, that graphic. So right here, this the amount of that image that's showing is just the top part of those three bands. Oh. So right now, actually right now. So that, okay, so that same image is moving, and it's like you have a window in the right, right, right. you can just right. look at. Right. Oh. Okay. So I'm only showing the top 42 pixels of that thing, the top band right now. If I mouse over it, it shows the next one down, which was a little bit darker. So when your code monkeys say something about sprites and you know figure that you don't understand what they're talking about, that's what it is. Uh, but uh, is there something else? So if you got mouse over stuff on your site, that's old school stuff. That should give way to CSS. So that most of the mouse over stuff can be recreated with CSS. It's all really about how stuffs being done. Um, the JavaScript is what they replaced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of like the, the dynamic menu stuff where you mouse over something and it pops out, that stuff can be done with CSS now. And another reason to do that because it's safer? Like some, some people with some sites and things will have JavaScript. Is that a factor that now with it's, people it's, having it disabled sometimes? It's a little bit safer, but I, I don't think that's really the primary. I mean, most of the reason we do these things is because. Again, that JavaScript would uh, either have to be called on the page or be embedded in the page. It, the, the code that's going to call it is going to be cluttering up the content, and that makes it harder for somebody who's using a reader or something like that to use. Cleaner than that. Cleaner, yeah. Um, what else can I tell you? Um, let me back out a little bit. Um, Uh, the position is fun. I think I can show you the, how the Z-index stuff works here. Um, I've got the, so what is this about area? And if I squeeze the site together, that is going to hide underneath that. Huh. 
So it just slides right under that. That's because it has a lower z-index value than the rest of it. If I click on that area, why am I not? Explanation, there we go. If I change that z-index to 1 instead of minus 1, now it'll go above, like that. So, since we're pretty much out of time, let me just see how the web's doing. I'll go to my clerk page see if I can muck around with the CSS there at all. We may just be moving way too slow yet to really do that. But it's completely down. Is it completely down? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> well, at any rate, um, I hope that gives you just a little bit of a foundation. Um, You're going to have a lot of fun learning and poking around with Firebug. Um, poking around with Firebug and looking at that CSS Zen Garden in and of itself, those two pieces are great education in, in CSS. Um, just poking around and experimenting, especially the Firebug thing. Being able to look at what anybody's doing and figuring out how they're doing it, what they're doing it, and how you might apply it in your own place. It's really powerful. And, and bottom line, uh, these tools are so rich that the only real limitation is what you can imagine and your own creativity. You're not tied to boxes and, and stuff like that. You can do fairly creative things. It's just a matter of just a different palette. Are you using Hire a Freelancer or Guru.com or any of that stuff to outsource any of your coding at this point? No, no. Um, well, that's not entirely true, but it's almost entirely true. Um, most of the website stuff that we build is using Drupal. Um, I use primarily uh, the contributed modules and stuff. I've done a little bit of uh, home coding, but most of that I don't do. In one particular case for uh, advanced poll stuff we were doing, um, we wanted to have ranking polls for this one particular set of tools we wanted. The problem with the existing ranking poll module was you had to use a drop-down to select a number for each item. So if you had nine items on the page, you would have nine different drop-downs. You'd say, okay, this one's going to be eight, this one's going to be three. And nobody ever filled them out. So we tracked down the guy who wrote the module and paid him to finish it and make it uh, activated with jQuery so that we could get drag-and-drop functionality on it. He charged us the god-awful $60 an hour, which is, you know, half of what I would have charged him if he'd asked me to do the work. But... Um, he was great. He was great to work with. He actually is very interested in voting systems and stuff like that. He works for Rock the Vote. Um, he's very active in the Drupal community. He's a terrific guy. And I think he gave us the, the bargain basement rate because he cares about the Drupal community. Because that's I mean, part of the condition of paying him for that work is we don't keep it. It goes back into the community. I think something really similar happens on my website that I needed a plugin specifically to do something. And I emailed the guy and the thing is that, especially when you're talking about these open source communities, the guys who are writing these modules, they're really, I mean, they wouldn't do it if they weren't passionate about it. Um, 
And if you're going to, I mean, we were in a position where we needed it in like three weeks, so we needed him to front burner it. So we said, hey, we'll pay you. And he said, well, okay, I charge $60 an hour. And we said, sold. <laughs> Start now. And a couple of weeks later, we had our drag and drop polling, and we've had a couple of uh, additions and stuff like that to it. But that stuff's all out in the Drupal community now. It's terrific. Um, he's done a really great job with it, and we're using it. It's one of those things where once you've got really good, effective drag-and-drop ranking polls, you use them for everything. Where do you want to go to lunch? I want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to Art. Mm -hmm. It's all the same thing. You'll use, you'll want to use it for everything because it's such a cool tool. But, yeah, love Drupal. Love uh, uh, Chris, the guy who uh, does the advanced poll stuff. And, uh, yeah, love CSRs. It was code after all. <laughs> so what, which books are you using? Uh, I brought in all the CSS books on my shelf. This one I actually, because I was researching this, 